I'm San Francisco Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and you're listening to Fifth and Mission. San Francisco Supervisor Asha Safai has teamed up with Mayor London Breed on legislation to make parklets permanent, and he's explaining why they're so important to small businesses' survival. The supervisor who represents the Excelsior District is also talking about his idea to remake the way the school board is elected. He also wants to see the city purchase more hotels to permanently house homeless people, and he speaks about his recent dust-up with a San Francisco police commissioner. Supervisor Asha Safai, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So you just told me before we started recording that, ironically, you called for a hearing on property crime the other day, came out to your car, and found the window broken. So very typical San Francisco experience. Tell me about that. So we were calling for, we called for a hearing on the increase in robbery and shoplifting and how it's impacting our commercial corridors in general and people's feeling of safety and so on. We asked the district attorney and the police chief to be there. And then I came out that night and it was raining and my window was smashed. Anything taken? Nope. They saw kitty litter and a back cushion, so they, <laughs> they moved on. <laughs> not, a, not a treasure trove. <laughs> no. Um, you've also teamed up with the mayor to um, write legislation, which is, I believe, out imminently um, to continue parklets forever. The shared spaces program will become permanent. Um, can you tell me how that's affected your district and small businesses and why you want that to continue? Yeah, so we are we are probably in the next uh, next few days going to be making a big uh, announcement about that. You know, my background is in city planning. I come with a really strong land use perspective. And uh, when we were coming into the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, really, you know, so many small businesses around the city um, were at the end of their rope. And we were trying to think of a way that we could give them, you know, a life uh, preserver. Saw these, uh, the way that these shared spaces and parklets and other um, expanded space in the city were really taking off. And they add a tremendous vibrancy, but also in its kind of, you know, just real rudimentary form. One of the things that constrains businesses in San Francisco is uh, the lack of space. And so to be able to expand your footprint and to be able to offer something, an experience that so many people enjoy, like being outdoors, we felt like it was important, an important way that we could take advantage of something that was an unintended positive consequence of this pandemic. This would never have happened without that. And so right. now there is a real strong push and we feel like we've come up with a good balance. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about parklets. We'll talk about shared spaces. We'll talk about public access and there'll be multiple options and the mayor and I are in, in lockstep on this mm -hmm. and I think I think the majority of San Franciscans are extremely excited about this. Yeah, I love the parklets. I know there's been some discussion about whether they should only be for customers during business hours or whether anybody should have access to them at any time. Have you settled on that? Well that's why I say there's that's why I say there's different categories. Parklet, shared space, and then some ones that are more public access. So uh, you know, prior to shared spaces and then being exclusive for businesses, there was more of the kind of a parklet model and it's required as part of that. It was like, it's not dedicated to one business, it's open. But for the most part, if it's planted right in front of a coffee shop, the majority of people that are going to be there, uh, you just couldn't exclude. Um, when they're, they've become a lot more creative with a roof on them and 
you see how they're utilized to kind of expand the footprint of existing businesses, then it's, and they've spent thousands of dollars uh, on the construction of them and done them in a really creative and aesthetically pleasing way, then it becomes a little bit different. So I think we're going to have options. Um, and I think we'll continue to have that conversation. I think it's important to ensure that public space is not completely privatized, but I think there's a way that you can balance it and give people options and mm -hmm. give the businesses options and give the public options. And as a father and supervisor, I know you've been following the trials and tribulations of the school district very closely. I know that you've teamed with Supervisor Hillary Ronan, who's a mom of a daughter in the um, public schools, to change citywide elections to district elections for school board. And tell me why you think that is a good idea. Well, first and foremost, and a lot of people don't realize this, we're one of the only municipalities in the entire state of California that does not have district elections. Oh, really? We are extremely susceptible to a lawsuit, a lawsuit that we were almost certain to lose. And so the only thing that has uh, insulated us against that lawsuit, I think, is is the increase in some some level of diversity on the Board of Education in terms of the elections. However, if you really look at the more recent uh, makeup, if not for the mayor appointing Jenny Lam, you would not have had a, a, an elected uh, Chinese-American hmm. in a population that is <clears throat> representative, well over 30, 35% of the student body. Uh, and so first and foremost, we have a legal obligation to have this conversation. And then secondarily, if you look at where the school board members reside and you look at the places where they come from, there's major pockets of San Francisco that are not represented. Baby Hunters Point, no representation hmm. from a school board member. Two thirds of my district, Excelsior Out of Mission, no, no representation. The Sunset, no representation. So when you think about how the city, when the, the, the distribution of where school board members live, and that's important because then you think about the schools that are in those areas and who do I go to? Who do I talk to when I want to have a conversation on the school board? I mean, their intention is to be, let's, let's, I care about all the schools, but from the perspective of a district supervisor, I get the calls about the schools that are in my district. And I, I think it's important to have that. Mm -hmm. So I think that those, that's a really important uh, conversation to have. We're going to have a public conversation about it. And I think that'll be a, a, a good thing for San Francisco. There's also some other ideas floating around. One is to recall three members of the school board. Do you support that? I, I support the democratic process. I support people being able to go through a, a vetting and a conversation in a public format. I'm, I'm not going to take a position on that right now, mm -hmm. but I certainly support people's ability to utilize our democracy to make a stand against people that they feel have failed them in their leadership. Mm -hmm. And what about the idea to uh, make the school board not elected at all, but instead have them be appointed either by the mayor or some kind of split between you guys? And the I mean, mayor? it's interesting because for 70 years we had that here in San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, it was changed as n not for positive reasons. Right. It was changed for real, you know, racist. I broke that story. <laughs> yeah, r racist reasons. And, and you sure did. And, but the result was we ended up with, uh, citywide elections. I think that I think that there's there's room to have a conversation about maybe a hybrid model. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a way that the mayor and the board could could be involved in some type of appointment and the, there could be district. But you know ultimately we're going to have that public conversation and let everyone weigh in and see what's best 
uh, for the future of our school board. Mm -hmm. And the superintendent, Vince Matthews, has just announced his retirement in June. And then also the head of the teachers union, Susan Solomon, has said she's not running for another term. So she's done in June, too. It seems like people are jumping ship. Um, what do you think of, of the state of the school district right now? I think it sends a really, it, as just me as a parent, it sends a, a bad message. You know, when I saw the news yesterday that the superintendent was leaving prior to the, any one student coming back to in-person learning, I know they have a plan. And, and let me just say this, I appreciate all the hard work that the superintendent has done. I think he's tried his best. I think he asked for a plan. It's, it's on record that he asked for a consultant mm -hmm. to put together a plan well, almost a year ago. Mm -hmm. So we would have been that much ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. That effort was thwarted. Uh, he has tried and been a consistent voice to say we need to get children back into the classroom. He said that to me privately. He said that publicly. And I know he's been working diligently for that. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's done a. I think he's done a tremendous job under the circumstances, and so I'm sad to see him go. Mm -hmm. I, I think the school. I, I think the teachers union has done their best under the circumstances, and you know I don't think I'm not one to point fingers at anybody. Um, I would say at the end of the day, uh, it's the message that I hear as a parent is uh, it's time for me to move on, and and things have not even really come to a conclusion yet. And so that, that, that's a hard message to swallow. Mm -hmm. I do understand um, for him, and, and his message was pretty clear. You know, I think the school board should be allowed to have someone that's more aligned and choose someone that's more aligned with their philosophy. That's what is a, their philosophy? What, how would you describe it? I don't know. You'd have to ask them. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just happy that they have come around and they have been saying for the last finally for the last month, month and a half, that there's nothing more important than getting our schools reopened mm -hmm. and our kids back in school. Yeah. And I noticed this morning that your parking space is right in front of the Abraham Lincoln statue, which is one of the names that they want to get rid of eventually from Lincoln High. Yeah, I, I don't support that in any way. I, I mean, Abraham Lincoln, um, just like any person, um, but even he, I think he stood up to the test of time. I mean, he stood up for so many different principles. I think he was one of the greatest presidents we've had. Mm -hmm. um, my children are studying him now. Um, but I've had to tell them that there were decisions that he made at that time that today would not be made and people would view um, in a different light. But that does not mean that he wasn't a great leader for our nation. And so I'm, I'm, I do. I, I chose that spot. I choose to stay in that spot. Mm -hmm. I would not support in any way removing his name from uh, a high school. Mm -hmm. But... Let me just say this, no matter what happens with renaming, there should be a community, a school and community driven process right. to have a thorough conversation with historical analysis, facts being presented and then allowing ultimately the school to make a decision. Yeah. We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth in Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. You recently brought up the subject of um, poor treatment of janitors during the pandemic. Can you tell me about that initiative? Well, for me, that's a little near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. I'm a little biased in that way, having worked uh, on the front lines with janitors for almost a decade. Uh, but what I will say is, I think it's a piece of a larger conversation that needs to happen in San Francisco. You look at what's happening with Salesforce, where they're reducing their footprint 
They're the largest private employer in the city of San Francisco. Um, janitors are a big piece of that conversation because the more janitors that are there, the safer that they feel, the safer they can make people feel to come back to the office building. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that in any way we, we continue to thrive and grow as a city until we have a, a larger plan on how we're going to make people feel safe. Mm -hmm. You and I are sitting in City Hall. City Hall is closed, mm -hmm. right? And at some point that needs to open back up and, and, and public needs to be able to come access this building and feel safe. The janitors in this building are a big part of that mm -hmm. conversation. So what, I, what I've brought up and we're looking at legislation is to ensure the ventilation is right, the PPE equipment is right, and that the janitors are safe so that if I'm coming into an office building uh, as a tenant or if I'm just there as a, as a worker, I know that my building is clean, it's safe, and I feel comfortable uh, yeah. coming to work. Um, one of the biggest uh, jobs that supervisors and the mayor will have moving forward is figuring out how to uh, help the thousands of homeless people who've been moved into hotels and safe sleeping sites during the pandemic um, figure out their path forward as the pandemic ends, hopefully, reasonably soon. Um, what do you think should happen? Well, I think we have a historic opportunity, Heather. We, again, this might be one of the best unintended consequences of this pandemic. The hotel industry has contracted, tourism has contracted by 90%. But there's other subsections of that, like international students that come and occupy some of these, what we would classify as technically like a tourist hotel. Many of these operators have come and said they don't see their indice returning or that, that demand for that type of housing returning anytime soon. And so they've come and said, we're willing to sell our properties. Well, these properties are exactly like our supportive housing units. Mm -hmm. They have kitchenettes, they have bathrooms, they have single rooms. Um, we could cut in, in half the cost of what it would be to construct even more than half a supportive housing unit. So the mayor had an, initiated a plan a few years, uh, I think about a year and a half ago, two years ago to say, let's build 1,500 un more units of supportive housing. In one fell swoop, with the home key program by the state, we bought two hotels, mm -hmm. the Diva and the Granada, mm -hmm. 350 units, just like that. Yeah. So we have, I have called, I called for a, a resolution to make it one of the top priorities of our city, mm -hmm. uh, working with the mayor's administration and the uh, Office of Homeless Supportive Housing, Mayor's Office of Community Development, Department of Real Estate, the city's accelerator fund, we will put together a strike team and we will be able to purchase buildings using the Prop C funds. Another mm -hmm. wonderful, wonderful opportunity that no, probably no other city uh, in the United States has to deal with the, the homeless crisis. It's a fund. We have $150 million sitting there mm -hmm. ready to be used to purchase uh, properties. And we're going to get more additional funding from the state and federal government so we'll be ready. And I think in the next week or two, we're going to be able to announce uh, some properties that we'll be, uh, we're going to be aggressively pursuing for purchase. And that will then increase our footprint. Mm -hmm. So we can move some of the people out of the, the hotels that will come back into our tourist market. We'll have some supportive housing. But also those on the streets will be able to be moved quicker into housing that we can wrap services around them. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, a, it's an important piece of the puzzle that I'm really excited about. 
relatedly, the Housing Accelerator Fund is looking for another site on which to build um, permanent supportive housing out of modular units, and I know that that is not popular among unions in the city. Would you support another site like that? So when the unions, and it's, it's a little bit of a complicated issue because, you know, we're, all, we're, we're talking about people's livelihood, but at the same time, we're talking about trying to come up with a solution. I think a better solution is buying the hotels that are there and rehabbing them mm -hmm. minimally um, as it presents itself, and that might be able to get what we need. Um, modular housing is used around the world, and I think the, I think the way we balance that here is allow the different crafts that are involved in the work that they do to be part of that solution. Mm -hmm. And so far that hasn't been the final debate. It's been a it's been a fight between the carpenters union and all the other subcrafts, the 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 plumbers, the electricians, the glazers. Because those guys still come and work on the modular units, but the carpenters don't? The other way around. Oh the other way around. The carpenters say, we can do everything you need to do. We don't need all these other folks. Mm. And so it feels as though it would be like if someone came in and said, we don't need, you know, this many reporters. All I need is one what? to do. <laughs> I could do one. I just one for the whole city. And you're like, wait a minute. So, I mean, and, and by the way, I, I think that's a fair conversation to have because, mm -hmm. you know, as we move toward automation, as we move toward so many different aspects of the technological revolution, a lot of workers are going to be displaced. And that doesn't mean that we can't do it in a thoughtful way and let's have a thoughtful conversation about it but the trade the way it works now you would not vote for another no i i site. would i would i would do it as long as there was a, a negotiated conversation between all the crafts mm -hmm. if they felt like it's something that they could do i don't think we need to do that right now i think we have other options I, okay. and i think that there's an opportunity for them to sit down and come to a uh, come to a, a negotiated settlement a huge crisis that I, I think City Hall has not even begun to grapple with is the overdose deaths. There were nearly 700 last year and another 61 in January. Two people every day are dying of drug overdoses in San Francisco with not much response, I would argue. What do you think needs to happen? So we called for a hearing uh, uh, back in February. I'm very. You met my staffer here, mm -hmm. Jeffrey Morris. She worked for 15 years with adult probation. Uh, we sent a letter, a letter of inquiry to the medical examiner and the sheriff's department to find out of all the people that died in the past year, the 699, how many of them had been involved in the in the jail system or justice involved within the last year? Mm -hmm. Because in our hearing, we were looking at the intersectionality between the recidivism, the re-arrest in, 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 in and out of the jail system and underlying substance abuse. Mm -hmm. So we pushed the district attorney to say, what levers are you pushing when you know this person has been caught for theft while they're high, mm. while they've stolen a car while they're high, mm -hmm. while, they've, while they've assaulted this victim while they're high mm -hmm. or drunk? Mm -hmm. And why are you not compelling them into treatment? Mm -hmm. Why are you not giving them additional opportunities? Mm -hmm. The district attorney said he that they rely more on adult probation. Adult probation said they rely more on the district attorney. Yeah. So we, we've come up with a model that we're proposing in this year's budget that is more about peer-based abstinence treatment in, in a residential setting. We've put that proposal forward to the administration. We think it could be a good pilot program to deal with a good portion of these individuals that could then be scaled up. And we think if you're really getting at people before it gets to the extreme, before they steal a car and, and 
you know, commit vehicular homicide mm -hmm. or before they go into a store and, and you know, on, hire drunk and assault somebody. Mm -hmm. I think we need to have a real conversation about getting them the substance abuse treatment. And so we have a real harm reduction model, but we've been kind of missing this abstinence model. The Alcoholics Anonymous, mm -hmm. the Narcotics Anonymous, the peer-to-peer -peer former... I think that could be a, a big step forward mm -hmm. in beginning to deal with some of the problems we have, particularly for black and brown um, individuals where mm -hmm. they've seen the abstinence model is, is more effective than just the pure harm reduction model. Yeah. And I think if we get it early enough, then we don't end up with as many overdoses. Okay. And um, you recently called for the resignation of police commissioner John Hamasaki after he made some controversial statements on Twitter about how some teenagers need guns for protection. Um, where do things stand between the two of you now? You know, at some point, there, there's a difference between being a college professor. There's a difference between being just a pure defense attorney. There's a difference between you and I sitting in our house at a dinner party and having a, an academic debate and being a police commissioner that leads for this city while we've seen an increase in crime and gun-involved uh, crimes in particular, particularly for young people. And so his nuanced base was ham-fisted. Mm -hmm. um, I think he could have presented in a much different way, uh, but he chose a way to be inflammatory. And then you look at the pattern of his um, tweets, you look at the pattern of his conversation over the past two years, and there was a pattern of behavior on his part. And this was the final line mm -hmm. uh, for me and some other supervisors that felt like if you want to continue down that path, that's fine. You have every right, freedom of speech. But to be a leader on one of the most important commissions in the city at this time, I, I felt like he was no longer fit to serve in that position. I stand by that. Um, he has apologized. He ultimately went after one of the supervisor's Mm -hmm. uh, sisters. Yeah, Myrna Mel Melgar. I mean, it just kept on, kept on going, to the point where he had to be told, "We are the, we are the appointing body. <laughs> we're your boss. Yeah, yeah, we're your boss, and you will be removed as quickly as you were appointed." And he apologized, and you know, he has one year left on his term. I think he's, uh, I think he'll ride off into the sunset, and uh -huh. it's unfortunate because he came in with promise. I was the chair of the rules committee when we spent, and I said this on the record, more time than we spent on any other commission. Mm -hmm. Eight hours, eight hour hearing, multiple applicants, multiple questions. And he ultimately made the cut along with uh, Commissioner Cindy Elias, um, and then subsequently put uh, uh, DJ Bookner and Denali after that. Those were the mayor's appointments, but we vetted them as well. And, you know, the truth is, he, I think he let, he let this body down mm. and it's unfortunate. Okay. Well, you've survived my serious questions and now it's time for our famous lightning round. Okay, good. Where's your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? <sighs> you know, I like uh, La Taqueria in, in the mission, but I also like La Corneta. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> That's my favorite. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? I would say... Um, the Wedding Planner. Oh, <laughs> I was not anticipating that. <laughs> My wife and I get a big kick out of that. Is that the one with J-Lo? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you were where she gets her then. Where she gets her high heel caught in the... <laughs> <laughs> Where's your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? Oh, well... I like Rockstan in my own neighborhood. 
Um, so I'll go with them. Okay. What was your first concert? My first concert was uh, Belle Biv DeVoe. <laughs> oh, that's another good answer. BBD. <laughs> <laughs> what was the last book you read? I'm reading right now three books. I kind of jump around, but I'm reading the uh, Obama's oh, yeah. you know, book. Mm -hmm. I'm reading a book on uh, Frederick Douglass, mm -hmm. and I'm reading a book on Abraham Lincoln. Wow. The, the, Abra the Abraham Lincoln book is the one about his transition from winning until he was seated, which not like uh, Joe Biden, that painful weight that we had. Yeah. They're, they were seated much later. Oh. Yeah. You know, so it was, it's a real, it was a real treacherous time for mm, him. Interesting. On a scale of one to 10, how has San Francisco performed during the COVID-19 pandemic? It, which is the highest 10 number? is the best. 10. Okay. Oh, wait, you know what? I'm going to say nine because of the way that we it would have been a it would have been perfect if not for the way the schools have turned out yeah up. definitely ferris wheel yay or nay yay <laughs> i say yay too. yay absolutely <laughs> big yay <laughs> um so we touched on the renaming issue if you could pick one person who does not have a public school named after them that you think deserves it who would it be uh maya angelo mm -hmm. i mean she's a san franciscan yeah what are you most looking forward to about the pandemic ending something you can't do now that you really want to do? Hug people. Mm -hmm. Last question. What is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Mm, that's a good one. I guess some time to, to have a cup of tea and be quiet. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's great to see you in person for the first time in a year. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Heather. Thanks so much. Thank you to Asha Safai for joining me today, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and to you for listening. 